Well, let's read in our Bibles, Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. And we're going to read the whole chapter. It's only 10 verses. Another great chapter. Jonah 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of God, and we thank him for it. Good evening. It's lovely, lovely to welcome you uh, as we approach and as we're here uh, in Jonah chapter 2. Thank you, Craig, for leading us so wonderfully. Naomi, it was great to hear from you. Uh, and that's something that we're looking to do going forward in our evening services. Uh, we'd love to hear from our people doing things for Jesus where you are. We'd love to hear from you. We want that to be a part of what we do on a Sunday night, the opportunity to hear from our ministry leaders and those just in their day-to-day lives that have opportunities. I think we have a great space to do that here on a Sunday night. If I might start this evening by asking you then simply a question. How's your prayer life? I won't ask you to turn to the person next to you. But how is your prayer life? I wonder if you were to try and sum it up, would your answer be, it is rich, it is frequent, it is fruitful, and it is joyful? Or I wonder maybe if our answer would be, it's sporadic at best, I get a bit bored, sometimes it's a bit lackluster, or maybe it's even completely non-existent. Well, tonight what we encounter is Jonah the prophet, again, this man as a prophet who heard directly from God, this man who had an incredible prayer life as a prophet of God, whose sin got in the way, which put a bar between him and the Lord. He didn't feel he could reach out because of his habitual continued sin to the Lord. And what we see is an incredible transition in 10 verses from a man who cannot pray to a man who can do nothing but pray. So we're going to have a little think then about the road to redemption tonight of Jonah, what that looks like, how that happens, and how we've come to it. Last week, Simon wonderfully took us through the end of Jonah chapter 1, those seven verses, and we looked at the reality of grace, didn't we? We looked at grace that overtakes disobedience. 
Uh, and we thought about uh, some great things, the nature of God's grace, being interventionist, being relentless, and in being sovereign. This idea that we can never exhaust God's grace. This idea that you're never too bad, you're never too far gone, and ultimately he will work as he pleases. And Simon left us on that bit of a cliffhanger. He gets launched into the sea, and by the way, a fish appears. It's kind of where we've left it. So we've seen this wrestling. We've seen God at work in the sending of this great storm. We've seen uh, him at work in uh, Jonah being, th- uh, the casting of lots and then Jonah being thrown overboard. We've seen that. Jonah knows that this is the work of the Lord. The sailors know that this is the work of the Lord. And I guess this ties in as well with where we've been in the last couple of Sundays in First Peter is what we're saying tonight is what effect did the reality of the grace of God have on Jonah? That's the question. Just as we've looked at in First Peter, what's the reaction in our hearts and in our lives to the first 12 verses of First Peter chapter 1? So we're, we're looking then at the roads to redemption and where we start. So we start then with Jonah's reality, which is in the depths. These verses, verses 2, 5, and 6. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, you have heard my voice. Then verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Jonah begins for us by reflecting on his time in the water. He's looking back to those what would have been moments of absolute carnage of this storm and the winds and the waves, a storm so great that the sailors were completely afraid of it. And Jonah's thrown into the midst of it. Just absolute madness and mayhem, literally no chance of survival in those sorts of conditions. And I think the trauma of that realization and the lots that the Lord has a plan for me, and that that plan now means I'm about to be thrown overboard. It's so vivid in his mind because he recounts here, so this is in the belly of the fish. That's where he is. He's in the fish, and he's recounting what's happened and, and, and the madness of what's just happened as he was thrown into the sea. And you can imagine the picture, can't you? Thrown into the water. And maybe for those first, I don't know, what do we call it? Treading water, that was it. I'm not sure in a storm of this size it would have been that helpful. But maybe for those first couple of seconds, he got his rhythm and his routine and thought, this is okay, maybe I can do this for a while. But no doubt, as these waves would have pounded him and pounded him, as these great waves would have come over him and taken him down, it wouldn't have been too long before his energy was completely gone. And we're told that he went down. And he didn't go down a couple of meters. He went down, down. The belly of Sheol. Literally the depths of the sea. Do you know, learning this story of Jonah as a child, it's quite helpful to preach through it because it takes my preconceived ideas of the board books and puts them into line with what the Bible actually says. Because I picture this kind of extraordinary sea creature that kind of looks like a bubble and kind of has a smile with its big open mouth. And Jonah plops into the water and this lovely fish bobs along the top of the water and just scoops him up and off it goes. In my head, you know, because you can't picture the storm in a kid's book. At least not the ones I've read. Uh, So that's what we see. We see this, that picture. But actually in reality, we have Jonah who is literally dropping like a stone. Everything's gone. Hope is 
absolutely and completely gone. He is on his way down. At the roots of the mountains, I went down. That paints for us the picture of how deep this ocean is, how far he's going. He's clearly not above water. If he was still at the top, he might have been able to grab a piece of cargo, something that was there that had been thrown overboard. But all those chances, those opportunities have gone. And the end of verse 6, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Jonah thought he was dead. Jonah was as good as dead. He was that deep, and he was in the place that nobody would ever return. And then we encounter this fish. This moment of desperation, clearly still conscious because he's recognizing he can recount it. But if you are sinking at the rate he was to the bottom of the sea, it is game over. And I wonder if you have ever, maybe in a lesser sense, maybe in the same sense, found yourself in a situation where you are completely overwhelmed, completely helpless, and just trying to keep your head above water becomes almost impossible. But whatever a situation or circumstance might be, it feels like that it's just waves crashing over you, pounding you down. Moments of great loss or trauma, whatever it might be. But those moments where strength is completely gone. And I guess it leads us to the question of, was this pounding really necessary? Could it not have been like the picture books? Could all of this not have just been avoided? But yes, it was entirely necessary for Jonah. Why? Because as we've seen, the resentment has grown in his heart and it's grown heart he has his heart is like totally surrounded by this hardness his heart isn't totally hard and this is a prophet this is a man of faith but there is a hardness that is developed around this man's heart and it took him to literally rock bottom to cry out to God it took him literally to the very very depths I don't know if you've heard testimonies of uh, amazing testimony of, of those who come to the Lord and uh, the brink of addiction or those who find the Lord in in, in, in tragic moments of law but that's the sort of thing we're dealing with here for Jonah. This is, I have messed up so badly. All of this is of my own doing. We saw on the boat, he can't cry out to God because his sin is so great and it is like a barrier between him and God. And he thinks to himself, how, how can I cry out to the God that I'm deliberately disobeying? But at absolute rock bottom, sinking like a stone, in certain death, there he cries out. God has a great future for Jonah. We're going to unpack all of that. We're going to see the amazing things that happen because of him. But if it wasn't for the raging storm, and it wasn't for those dice, and it wasn't for those pounding waves, and it wasn't for the storm that sent him down, Jonah might not have been brought back to his senses and to obedience for the Lord. So in the depths of despair, with nowhere to turn, Jonah cries out. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. It's a bleak situation. It's a bleak situation. Then we find those stunning words, and he answered me, and he heard my voice. So the first we have here is the reality of where he is. The second thing we have is his awakening, which really is Jonah beginning to process and accept where he is. 
He's beginning to recognize that the depths of this horrible situation that he knows he's put himself in is now where he deserves to be. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the ocean, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. I think awakening is a helpful word for us because it's contrasted with his sleeping in just the last chapter. We met, didn't we? We compared Jesus sleeping on the boat, which was a vastly different sleeping to Jonah sleeping on the boat. Jesus was sleeping on the boat because he is the sovereign Lord of all and he knows that, that, that they are safe with his disciples. And then Jonah sleeping is a total lethargy and I don't care. I'm just going to stick my head in the sand and hope this all goes away. And when I wake up, I'm far, far, far away. But Joseph's, eh, Joseph, Jonah's sleeping was the symptom of this lethargy that had crept into his life. He'd once walked with God as a prophet. He'd enjoy this incredible intimacy with God. But something had gone vastly wrong in Jonah's heart. And this readiness that we'd seen in Jonah's earliest life in Second Kings, this desire and this hunger to serve this Lord had gone. His levels of comfort, his levels of uh, the, the things that he wanted, his own desires, his own idols had taken that place. And Jonah had his terms and conditions on God. There was limits as to what he was willing to do. And I guess it gets me thinking a little bit about spiritual decline and what that looks like. Often, I don't think it's normal that people one day decide, I'm going to walk away from faith and I'm going to walk away from everything that I know it happens. But I don't think that's the common theme. I think the common theme is, a spiritual deterioration that is so slow, virtually nobody sees it. I think it starts and we begin to see it when worship becomes optional, both corporate and personally. I think it's when we see prayer become repetitive, when the Lord's table as we gather for communion just becomes totally a habit. Those times when we won't even engage the word when it's open because it comes routine and somehow we find ourselves, and it's easy to do, our Christian faith, runs on autopilot. We're no longer engaged. And I think that's where Jonah was. This place of just, I'm just coasting along. Everything's all right. This, maybe it was boredom. Maybe it was the thought of there's more comfort here than what God's got for me. But this cynicism, this resentment, this unbelief grows in a heart like it did with Jonah. And before you know it, you're sleepwalking your way through your Christian life. And that's where Jonah was. Until the Lord sent the raging storm, some tumbling dice and some waves that pounded. You see, I don't think it would have been surprising here if Jonah was still angry with God, that he's now in the belly of this fish and he was to look back and see everything that the Lord's done, stopping him from getting to Tarshish. I don't know what Tarshish was like back then, but southern Spain has probably always been quite nice. Uh, don't take my word on that, but I could totally have seen him being in this place after all the destruction and everything else going, Lord, why always me? Why is it me? Are you picking on me? These dice that were, were always going to be loaded against me, I never stood a chance. I hate what you've given me. I hate the hand that you've given me. Why? But Jonah incredibly sees all the pain that he has been through through this lens. All your waves and your billows 
passed over me. He acknowledges that all the hardship he had been through, everything he had gone through, he sees God's hand in it. He could easily have said, the ship's crew threw me into the water. He could easily have said, and, and taken the Lord out of everything as he had done in almost every other part of his life. He could have done that, but he doesn't. Why? Because behind every human event, there is the hand of God. Working in ways we do not know, in ways we do not understand, in things and in ways we do not see. It was God who had thrown him into the water. It was God who had sent the waves. It was God who had sent the storm. And these waves that pushed him down, deep, deep, deep down, were God's waves. And he knows that. And I think Jonah, beginning to recognize God's hand in everything that had gone before, in all the, the hardship that he'd faced, was the first genuinely significant sign we see in his life here. I think that's where we are. I think he's putting his hands up. I think he's beginning to realize just how far away from the Lord they'd walked. He's beginning to see actually, do you know what? Lord, I understand why you had to do that to bring me back. That's, that's what I pick up from, from what he's saying here as he reflects from the fish back the way. That there's this freshness through the tragedy that what seemed to be vague and remote and dull and distant is now alive and it is real and it is relevant and it is present. And in this awakening, God just gave Jonah such an understanding of his own sin that in the depths, he saw truly who he was. You see, before this intervention, Jonah was able to justify everything to himself. Jonah was able to justify why I wanted to go my way and why I didn't want to go God's way. Who else would want to go to the heart of the Assyrian Empire? Who in their right mind would want to do that? And this waiting boat in the harbor, I think he thought he took the reasonable course of action that the stars aligned and everything was right and off I go into the sunset and that would be it. We see it on the boat when he has his conversation with the sailors that he has no sense even then he'll identify himself, but even then he won't call out to God in the midst of the storm there. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. But what Jonah's not doing here is he says these words, all your waves and your billows passed over me. He's not complaining. He's not complaining as a man who feels he's been hard done by, by God. But I think he's a man coming before God, confessing, To God, coming before God and saying, Do you know, Lord, you did that. And I think I'm okay with you doing that. And I understand now from the belly of the fish, from this safe place, why you had to do that. I guess one of the ways we could ask, us, ask ourselves that question is, do you feel that God owes you something? Do you feel that God owes you something better than you have received? Do you feel like there was another course of action for your life and saying, Lord, I feel hard done by? Because that grows resentment. It grows cynicism. But it's hard for us to see God in the things that we find hard. This wasn't easy for Jonah. 
That's why it took him to the literal depths to see it. But what he does is he owns his sinfulness at this point. He recognizes what he's done. He recognizes, do you know what? God doesn't owe me anything because the wages of sin is death. And I think he begins to recognize, actually, everything I've just been through in light of my disobedience, this is exactly what I deserve. Actually, I didn't deserve the fish. But this is there. So here, wrapping this up, I think he's saying, look, I'm under your judgment. These are your wind, these are your waves. These are your waves and your billows. I'm under your judgment. And do you know what? I deserve it. I deserve to be under this judgment. And this journey to redemption begins with him understanding that he is a sinner before holy God. That's where this starts. And then it begins to change. Verse 4. I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Do you know, I think there can be a risk as we understand the reality of who we are before God that we can feel a little bit of despair, feel a little bit, man, God is so great, and I'm just not. That there can be this sense of, do you know what, I understand sin and the consequences of sin, and there's almost this sense of darkness of how big and how vast this is and how scary it is. And without Jesus, obviously, the reality of our spiritual condition is terrifying. And you see, in the water, he would say, I'm driven away from your sight. But then come some hopeful words. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. We're still reflecting. This is happening when the seaweed wrapped around his neck, when he's sinking to the roots of the mountain. And it was out the depths of this literal hell for him that he cried out to God for help. And you see, the fish was very different. The fish wasn't a place of trauma for Jonah. The the, the fish was a place of safety. This was now the time when he was sure he was going to live because there's just no other way this would happen if it wasn't God's plan. This belly of the fish then wasn't this place of trauma and fear, but it was this place of deliverance. And despite the strangeness of all of that, when he's in this fish, he begins to worship and give thanks and declare that salvation comes from the Lord. That's what we see in verse 9. That he begins to declare who God is in the most astonishing turnaround. So we have this, this awakening to his true spiritual condition, that, that moment of just being utterly mortified that look at how I have disgraced the living God. How dare I? How dare I treat God like I have treated him? How dare I think I know best? And we come to this calling out to God, this desperate desire to one day look upon your holy temple. I ask the question, how's your prayer life? Because this is, this is a prayer. This is Jonah, the man who couldn't pray on the boat in those terrible moments with the sailor, the man who wouldn't pray, now praying. When Jonah's heart was 
condemned him when it was hardened. He wouldn't pray. He couldn't pray. Recognizing I've been driven away. Thinking, this, God wants nothing to do with me. I'm beyond it. I'm beyond saving. I'm beyond help. I'm beyond forgiveness. At this point then, he begins to believe. I think even the most mature believer can feel that you failed so badly that God wouldn't have an interest in me. And Jonah's wrestling. He's wrestled with all of this. But when he says, yeah, I will look again upon your holy temple, it's a stunning contradiction in this verse. It's a stunning contradiction that one who has driven away might look upon your holy temple. Do you see, in just one verse, we've gone from, Lord, you want nothing to do with me, to actually, do you know what, there's some hope for me here. When Jonah looked at himself, he despaired because he knew that he had been driven away. He knew he deserved to be driven away but he dares to believe that there is hope in God. And that then is where we come to in verse 8. We've seen a spiritual condition. We've seen him believing. Do you know what? There is more than this. The Lord hasn't driven away. I've driven myself away. It's my disobedience, not anything that he's done. And recognizing here, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And it's at this moment I kind of want to say, it's taken you a while, Jonah, but well done. Because that's where he is. A man who paid regard to the idols of his own heart, to his own comfort, to the own things that he wanted. What happened? The hope of the steadfast love of the Lord grew insignificant. And all of a sudden, he came first. There is this sense here now that actually this is not what I want. No longer do I want these vain idols. I've seen what it's done to me. I've seen where it's put me. Yet I've seen the kindness of God. I've seen his deliverance. And in this road to prayer, this road to rekindling a love for intimacy with God, he understands who he is. He believes. He repents. And I think often we understand repentance as if it's some kind of process where we have to beat ourselves up. But we're met then with the image of Jesus saying that there is joy in heaven over even one sinner who repents. It would be a bizarre thing, wouldn't it? It would be a bizarre thing if heaven were to celebrate this beating up, but that's not what happens. So repentance is something for us to that should be sought, that should be pursued. And I think too often we look at repentance as an event. We look at too often as a past event, as something that we did once in our life when we first came to accept the Lord Jesus. And I think Martin Luther, before he writes his thesis, puts it wonderfully. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he called us to a life of repentance. You see, this wasn't one act of disobedience from Jonah. This was a life of disobedience. 
This wasn't a single event that pulled him away from the Lord. This was a lifestyle of disobedience. And I think now there is this recognition that, do you know what? To live for him means to live a life of repentance. This isn't Jonah saying, God, I'm sorry. And that's it. Because I think our simple minds so often go straight that way, that God's just sitting there, that if somehow Jonah, somewhere along this journey, had just said the word sorry, all of this would come to an end. But we know it's so much more. We know it's so, so, so much more than just saying sorry. Why? Because repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. They come so closely hand in hand together. Neither exists without the other. But true repentance before the Lord is only possible when true faith is present. And where there is faith, there will be repentance. Because faith in us, a love for the Lord Jesus, gives birth to repentance. And repentance is evidence of faith. And repentance leads to change. It's not about some hollow words that we might say to God. It's not about an event and in the context in which Martin Luther wrote, it's not about event, an event in front of a priest that you do religiously on set days and those same repeated words somehow buy you forgiveness from the Lord. It's not about that at all. But it's about a lifestyle. And we see that change in Jonah that change from the things that drove him away to now bringing him back as Jonah would see what the Lord had done for him. So Jonah repents inside the fish. In the water he felt totally banished, struggled with his despair, but he put his hope in God and God sent a fish and God saved him. That's the story. That's the story. That's the picture of Jonah chapter 2. Jonah never complains inside the fish because he knows when he's in this fish, he would live. He knew he was safe. He knew that God had delivered him. And it was here that he got down to the serious business of repenting and believing. Jonah makes choices, commitments that reflect this change. We'll see that coming. The man who had these selfish idols that wanted what he wanted, that set out for completely the wrong direction, two and a half thousand miles in the wrong direction, now sits chugging along the ocean in this fish, wherever it spat him out. Maybe it gave him an even longer journey from Joppa, who knows? But there he is. Jonah found that the idols of his heart only led him to one place. And it wasn't to what God had for him. A life lacking in repentance for Jonah ultimately trapped him and almost sent him to his death. But he released the idols. He released the idols of his heart and he set his hope in the steadfast love. The good news for us then in all of this is we see this recognizing where he is, this believing, this repenting. As for us, and if you don't know the Lord Jesus, the great news is that God doesn't ask you to change so that you can come to the Lord Jesus. 
but we're invited to come to the Lord Jesus so that we might be changed. Understanding, as Acts 11.18 tells us, that repentance is a gift of God, that repentance flows from faith, and that faith flows from this awakening of who we truly are before God, our desperate need of him and how glorious he is. The repentance that Jonah could not find on the boat was the gift to him in the fish. And I think we see here that grace makes repentance possible. So we end then in safety. And the Lord spoke to the fish. I wonder what that conversation looked like. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So in 10 verses, Jonah has experienced the reality of rock bottom. He'd been awakened by God to just how far away his sin had taken him from God. Yet he believed that in all of that, God's hand was at work and his purposes were right and good for him and he repented. He turned his back on the idols of comfort and his disobedience and instead he turned then to a life of obedience and repentance. What a work the Lord has done in Jonah and what a process it took. Look at the journey Jonah's disobedience has taken him on. Look at the heartache. Look at the struggle. Look at everything he went through. But we're reminded that as a rebellious prophet going two and a half thousand miles in the wrong way is not too far from God, neither are you. My closing reminder, friends, it is never too late to get right with God. How's your prayer life? I think it's a good measure of where we stand before the Lord. Because if we know we are living lives of deliberate sinfulness, it's awfully hard. It's awfully hard for us to continually and routinely commune with the Lord. Because we know our sin sits there. It makes us unbelievably uncomfortable. But it is never too late to return in repentance and faith to the Lord, that we might worship and pray freely as we now find Jonah can. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for the grace that you have extended to each one of us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the grace and deliverance you have shown us in the book of Jonah. And we thank you, Lord, that as we might respond to grace, in repentance and faith, so too has Jonah. Lord, would you make us people of repentance, not people of words, but of people who want to live fully for you in light of all that you have done for us. We thank you, Lord, for your sovereignty and your hand in all things. Help us, Lord, to trust you in the moments when it's hardest to see you. Help us to trust that you truly do have plans and purposes that work together for all who would believe, as hard as it might be for us to see. And Lord, if we need to come back to you 
Come back to you in the simplicity of repentance and faith, Lord. May you grant us hearts to do so. We thank you that you are a great and awesome God and that nobody is too far from your grace. Amen.